one of my first really big memories came up when we were talking about it. I was talking about it with my sister. It was going to Disney World in 2000 and all the pictures are very cute, but my dad is very thin in them. And I was just always like looking back at these photos like, oh, he's just so young, (laughs) you know, whatever. And I found out from my sister, you know, she said, you know, the reason we went to Disney World is because everyone thought that that would be our last Christmas together. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Um, DeAndre is out this week, so I'm speaking with my friend Kristen about grief. So a pretty big mood swing from last week, but I'm really excited and and I really appreciate her being here to talk about this really kind of vulnerable topic. So let's just get into it. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about grief and grieving while people are still alive or just sad things that have happened because I feel like there's not a lot of space for being like sad in the discourse (laughs) or whatever you know or I mean sad in real life Mm -hmm. because when you're in most of your day is spent at work and you don't I have a friend who had a breakup right after college and it was like while she was like in the first couple days of her job. Yeah. And she was just like, I can't, I don't even have, I haven't even accrued any sick days. Like I can't even take a day off. Right. I think (laughs) (laughs) capitalism is brutal. uh, And I can't believe, for instance, I think if you lose a child, the average sick number of bereavement days you get is like five days. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. I, I think about this a lot because I think that all the time of the kind of workarounds I've made to be able to make adjustments at work. So like I literally left my old job in part because I just felt like the work-life balance was so terrible, but also because there was just so much happening emotionally and I needed some space to literally just be able to wake up in the morning and not look at my phone and feel anxiety and then come home at the end of the day and be exhausted and not being able to process any of my feelings. So for context, this year has just been difficult in terms of my dad having had a liver transplant after, you know, he's been sick for ages for my whole life pretty much, but then had a really serious hospitalization for about three months and had a breakup at the same time. And then also just have had a lot of changes in the last few years that have kind of, you know, culminated in a bunch of different things. And then being a young person and changing jobs. I just had like this year just felt like it was like 20 different things at the same time. I, at the same time, my dad was hospitalized, had to end up breaking my lease and moving out of my house and (laughs) finding new housing. And it was just so bad. And so, yeah. And throughout all of that, I was taking FMLA, the protected medical leave, family medical leave act. Um, And I just thought like, if this doesn't exist, I would literally, I'd be, I don't need, I would have probably quit my job because Mm -hmm. I was like, how am I supposed to do any of this emotionally if I can't, if I have to sit at a desk and do like fill out Excel spreadsheets or something like that while I'm thinking like, oh my God, I want to just fall apart or whatever. And so part of me, one of the bigger, healthier decisions of this year was changing jobs and having a job where I just feel like I have more control over my schedule and people are frankly just really kind mm-hmm. and that's not always the case obviously so yeah I have a coworker who I work very closely with whose dad just passed away and we were talking about how she was like yeah I, I just had to keep calling in and saying that I couldn't come in today because mm-hmm. I was having a breakdown and I was like wow like it's so like your boss is so nice that she like let you do that but then kind of yeah in an, from another perspective you're like wait a second like that's a low bar (laughs) it's a such a low bar oh my gosh I think about it all the time like if I right now could take you know financially but also just even if I could just take two months off I just feel like it would be the best thing ever just take a hiatus and think and catalog my feelings and uh, just kind of collect myself it's like I I'm such a capable person and so many overachievers within our friend group slash you know generation but 
just these hyper achieving and it's so easy to throw yourself into work and then have, you know, three weeks later, just be at the end of your rope. And Well, did you feel as if it was actually helpful in any way as a distraction? Because that's actually what my friend who had a breakup felt in certain ways. She was like, well, at least then I'm not just home by myself and I don't have to think about it. Like that's like one benefit, I guess. I think it was different because my dad did end up having, you know, coming out of the hospital. So it wasn't like he had passed. So it was actually, this is one of the things I feel more complicated about because it was kind of this like ongoing grief around this that wasn't like he had passed, which obviously would have been tragic, but it was just kind of this like ongoing thing. And so work felt like when I did have to go back to work, it was more just getting in, in the way of me trying to figure things out. And then, you know, he, I was in and out of work while he was in the hospital and, uh, I felt like when I came back, I couldn't give 100% of myself at work, but then I also couldn't give, you know, really be 100% basically in my feelings or dedicated to my family slash understanding how my friends could support me and things like that because I was torn between a bunch of different directions. And so not really at the end of the day. I think it also depends on what kind of work you're doing. If it's super interesting and like a passion project of yours, then I think that can be a good outlet. But some, I, I do, don't really necessarily feel like the kind of administrative work that I was doing at the time was really super helpful. I have been thinking in an interesting way and something I've never thought about before of doing more art, which I feel I'm, I would never, ever catalog myself as an artist, but I have so many roommates who are artists and I are housemates. And then I was just really listening to a lot of good feedback from people saying that doing something with your hands is so helpful. And I've been building my garden and feeling like that has been the best distraction ever. And also just the best way to channel my energy now that I'm not like running or doing super athletic or something like that anymore. Uh, and I was like, wow, what if I like built things as an art project? Cause now that, cause I'm like, after my garden, what do I have to do? I want to go back to the thing that you said about your dad and mm -hmm. sort of continually grieving because I'm curious about what that dynamic is like for him. It sounds like it could be kind of weird. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is weird. <laughs> <laughs> he is actually experiencing this and I'm experiencing it in this way of I'm kind of observing it. And obviously I'm experiencing it because I love him. So I've had like, there are a couple of things. One is that with social media, it's really weird. It's super weird because I was just talking to a friend about this today. When my dad was in the hospital for a solid three months, it was the first time I'd ever used social media to really talk about negative things happening in my life or sad things. And I was, it was interesting because I felt like I had permission to do that because A, I was in another state and I was trying to inform people about what was happening in my life. But also it was part of like a narrative almost. It was like, you know, this bad shit is happening and I'm trying to create like an outlet or a communication method and ask for like subtly ask for people to check in on me um, in a way that like I was doing with a couple people, but at the time I didn't really feel like I was fully equipped to figure out how to do, but still those, those updates were weird. Like I think about it and I'm like, I was <laughs> posting a picture of me like <laughs> in a liver transplant floor being like my dad got matched with a liver like it's so dramatic it's so weird it's like you know and then I posted the only photo that's on my Instagram of me like being sad and it, that is still there right it's like all of these like travel photos or whatever and then there's one photo of me looking like a sad girl <laughs> you know like and, and it's like you know and I wanted to at that time be like look it's been months and I am so distraught and it, I can't literally engage with social media right now in any way that's not sad. <laughs> and whereas right now, you know, I'm sad, let's say like 50% of the time about stuff and it's thing, but like, I feel like because 50% of that is more upbeat or funny and I have a pretty decent sense of humor, <laughs> I channel that. But at the time I was like, okay, this is a way that I can interact with this. And so that's one thing that's kind of weird because when it comes to social posting on social media, like my dad is still, is not dead, right? Like, is he friends with you on social media? He is, but he also doesn't really engage that much with Facebook. Um, so it's, it's, it's like weird because I'm posting like, Hey, it's been a year since my dad's surgery and he's doing better and people want to like, you know, know what the updates are, but, and they want to know what's going on, but it feels like very weird to do it at this super, you know, oh, I'm going to weigh in a year after or something like what's the update a year after or something like that. Or only if something important happens, like it's 
you know, uh, donor, uh, you know, organ donor awareness day or something like that. Uh, and it also feels like there are things that come up around my parents, like finances and my family finances, for instance, that are very political, then could be very political. And I'm a very political person. And so it's stuff like when my dad and mom are paying hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a month out of pocket for prescription drugs. And they're on my, both my mom's retired from the Philadelphia school district. And my dad is, you know, has been on disability for a long time. That is not, you know, you're not raking in the dollars. And so I want to post something like, you know, like with a big, like middle finger and be like, I hate the Like, this is so frustrating. And I want to weigh in on it, but it feels so like political. It feels like I'd be politicizing this ongoing really hard situation that my mom is like actively having to balance a checkbook right and so for me to take it out and make it like this political statement feels really weird and also is like kind of feels like it's you know taking I I kind of hate right like when politicians are like well I had you know this thing happen and it's like a way to build empathy but it's also super real and I'm trying to understand these things for myself and what I see in the world and stuff like that. And so that's one thing that I don't know how to engage with my dad on. Like when I posted the one year out from his surgery, I asked him if I could post it because it does feel weird to kind of be talking about his experience and, and and say like, but this is how it affected me. Even talking about it now feels like, yeah, it affected me. But at the end of the day, like this is his life. Like this is what he does. Like, you know, when I call him, it's like, you know, our conversations have become more limited because what he's able to do has become more limited, which is, uh, which is something I'm working on right now and trying to figure out, you know, how I best deal with that, I guess. And I, I don't know, it's, it's hard, but I, and I'm not like memorializing him per se. I think it's just hard when someone's going through something really hard to be able to either talk to that person about like your experience with it and put up, for instance, like healthy boundaries and stuff like that, that don't feel hurtful to the person or stuff like that. It's really difficult. And I'm still definitely trying to figure it out especially because it's hard to convey that you understand because I mean you kind of fundamentally don't and you can't mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it's sort of I mean I, this is not that analogous but I went back to my to college for an alumni weekend mm-hmm. thing a couple of weekends ago and I felt really like not to be a dick about it, but like all these people were being like, oh my God, like I like, you know, didn't get my lottery and uh, like the, the Sharples hours are changing. That's like our dining hall. And, and I was just like, wow, I really don't care about these <laughs> things. Like I'm in a totally different phase and a totally yeah. different part of my life. And to me, it just so highlighted to me that I'm like, wow, these problems are so trivial. Yeah. And they will never matter. Like, but well, I mean, I'm sure the problems that I'm worried about now feel I, like that. But I worry about that because I'm, because I am only, I just turned 25 and I am, my whole year has been focused on like, just kind of balancing everything happening with all of like the million different changes. And I feel like that was the right move, you know, and I'm very proud of that. I, and my friends have been amazing and my family has you know, done a lot of good things. But in terms of those priorities, I really am nervous. Like, I don't want to be that person who like, you know, her priorities in life are the those that you would expect out of like a 40 year old. <laughs> like, I can't, you know, like go to, I don't have like a, like my friend group right now is so centered around really, really meaningful interactions and supporting one another on a really meaningful level. And it means that I'm going out less. Like I'm not, I'd rather, you know, do this and sit around and talk about feelings <laughs> or like whatever, uh, then go out and get drunk and like go dance. But at the other hand, I'm like, I find this very lovely and I, I meaningful and like having intimate conversations with friends has been the saving grace of this year. And that's so great. At the other hand, I'm like, am I never going to get back to the point where I am just like this carefree youth? And not to say that I ever was 100%, but I really feel like this year has been like deep in my feelings. So, well, do you feel like you're you're like, oh my god, I've aged so much. I can never go back, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's more about like the people I'm surrounding myself with, I think, which are really good people, but I am kind of afraid that I'm I, for, so I live in a house of people that are aged 22 to 30. So I'm smack in the middle of that at 25. And I do 
feel like with the new people who moved into my house, <laughs> it's like, you know, going out a ton and creating art and, and living their day jobs. And it reminds me of when I moved to DC, right? out of college. And I was just like, I'm going to plan a march and I'm going to, you know, do all these things and be like hyper involved in everything and be going out all the time and hosting parties at my house. And that was what it was. And then this year has been so not that <laughs> like I'm getting more into that now and making really good boundaries for myself and getting engaged with things that I really find fun. But it took a, like a solid year. To, to feel like I was back in that zone even a little bit. And I still feel like those things are really intentional. They're not just things I fell into. I didn't just, you know, and so I don't think so. I don't think I'm ever gonna, <laughs> this sounds kind of depressing, but I don't think I'm ever gonna just be a hundred percent back in this zone where I don't kind of fear that the other shoe is going to drop. And I think that's the kind of like I always know, I, I think I'm very empathetic and I, I have always been every single time my dad gets sick, I feel super sad about it. Super sad. Like, and I think I wanted to sensitize myself and be like, no, this hospitalization doesn't make me feel really sad because he is in pain or whatever, but it does. And I just know that that could happen at any time because it's, it, and it's, it's a really terrible feeling is, you know, like, yeah, it's not to say that I'm not going to keep like, you know, being upbeat and doing things that are fun I just feel like I could do that for a year and then next year you know something bad could happen and I will be sad and I don't know how to you know well it does change your perspective I think actually there was there was a really interesting so I was just reading Being Mortal by Atul Gawande okay and Basically, he was citing the study, and I'm not going to be able to get it perfectly correct, but the study basically says that no matter how old or young you are, the closer you feel to your own mortality, so it's like comparing young people mm-hmm. who had like cancer or something to older people, the more your priorities just shift and it, it's had totally. a totally universal thing, right? Totally. So if you're young, right, and you feel like close to death, then you absolutely prioritize mm-hmm. hanging out with your friends more than you prioritize making new friends or going out and being like a social butterfly. Mm-hmm. You you invest a lot more in your closer relationships. Yeah, and I, I, when you originally said it's a perspective shift, I think I've always had this weird perspective, right? Because growing up with a parent who has been very ill on and off for 23 years or so, I've always had this weird sidebar (laughs) where it's like everything is like I am a normal kid and everything's totally fine and then sometimes I look at a situation I'm like oh also I was extremely aware of this or or I wasn't because I was a kid and didn't have that this being like mortality mortality and literally having you know death be around the corner like my one of the more the weirder things was I remember I think I was in like late high school or early college when one of my first really big memories came up when we were talking about it I was talking about it with my sister it was going to Disney World in 2000 and all the pictures are very cute but my dad is very thin in them and I was just always like looking back at these photos like oh, he's just so young, (laughs) you know, whatever. And I found out from my sister, you know, she said, you know, the reason we went to Disney World is because everyone thought that that would be our last Christmas together as the four of us as a family, that my dad was going to pass away. And so they put a lot of money and effort into sending us to Disney World all together. And it, it was like when I was six, that was not what my framework was explicitly, but it's always been implicit. It's always been this kind of like, you may not realize it, but this is what's happening. And then now as an adult, I think of these things in this framework and I'm kind of reshifting my perspective. But now as an adult with a fully formed brain <laughs> who can see kind of some of the mechanisms working in the world around me, I am very aware how things are affecting me and that my perspective and my priorities are changing. And it feels really weird to be were very different to go from childhood where those were kind of laid out for me or parents were telling you information or they weren't or they were keeping information from you or whatever and I wasn't sure how to deal with those things or I was just dealing with them and now I have so much more of like an active engaged you know role in that and it is weird so 
Yeah, my priorities have definitely shifted. I, you know, went home just to check in on my parents <laughs> last weekend, even though it was kind of a disaster. But I went home just because I missed them a lot. And I think I really took that for granted. Uh, a year and a half ago, I would be like, yeah, well, they're there. <laughs> You know, and, and now I'm like, wow, I really want to visit or I really value my relationship with my sister because she's the only person who truly understands what, is it, what exactly what it's like to be in this position because she's literally in the exact same one um, and things like that. Do you feel like that priority shift has been a net positive or a net negative for you? I think it's been a net positive. Yeah. Yeah, because for my, I mean, just not having been in that situation, but sounds to me like it can only having a sense of your own mortality seems like it can only kind of be a good thing actually right I think so and And it can center you right in a lot of ways and think about what you care about yep and I think I used to have a lot more angst about job related things not to say that I don't but I think the urgency of figuring something out like tomorrow about what I want to do job wise was replaced by realizing I was in a job all of a sudden that I had made a really active choice to be in, to leave my old job, go to this one, even though it was scary and be in a job that felt better on a day-to-day basis. And that is really different, even though they were almost the exact, they were literally the exact same job, just in different environments. Um, but that can make a big difference is, a, is the difference. And that was what I was looking for. And I think I would not have been able to have that perspective without the last year having happened where I really needed more of the emotional and environmental change than I did the actual content change. And I made my day-to-day life a lot easier, basically. And I would not have had that perspective without realizing I needed that in a more active way. And now I have that perspective. And the same thing with friends. I think the only you know, negative thing is, well, I'm currently going through this perspective shift where I think I spent the whole year thinking about how I can best serve my dad and things like that and how uh, the things unique to this situation. And now I'm having this perspective shift about how not unique the situation is that like every person, maybe with the exception of you, (laughs) um, kind of has this big thing that they, and a lot of people, a lot of whom are older than me, have had a sick parent, right? Or like everyone has, pretty much everyone is going to have someone in their family who they're close to pass away. Yeah, so I think that um, I'm thinking a lot more now about the the non-specialness of it and, and that there's like this whole world out there of people who have had these experiences. I think having this experience young though has made me feel weird about it because like I said, like when I have roommates or friends who are just like, I've never even thought about death. (laughs) Like I've never, you know, that is such a mind trip because I grew up thinking about it. So that was also really frustrating when people would say that, like my old roommate saying like, wow, I really don't like talking about this because it makes me really anxious to think about death. And I was like, same, but I have this happening like in front of my I have face. No choice. Yeah, I have no choice about this. And like, I would really prefer that you like supported me in, in, in like when I come home from Philadelphia, you know, where my parents are. And yeah, and, and I'm actively trying to go back to work mid my dad, you know, at the time basically dying. Yeah, it was it's just super trippy. So it did make me feel very outside of the normal thing when I came home and everyone was going out to bars and everyone was doing their young professional thing and I was being sad <laughs> and dealing with that. So yeah. Well, I don't even think that it's something that's necessarily unique to youth even though maybe that experience has a much higher contrast to the grave mm. sort of like things that you're thinking about when you have to go home. But like you said, this is something that a lot of people have had experiences with, and it's still not something that is talked about right. very much. And it's not something that you can just go and like just start a conversation with your coworker and be like, "By the way, like you know, like <laughs> yeah, exactly, it is." And that's one of those weird normative things. Like my dad has been in the hospital this year for the last month. He just got out last week, and. I didn't tell anyone in my office. That is crazy. Last year, like every single person that I worked with knew because, and that was a lot more serious, but 
you know, it was pretty serious this time too. And it was for a whole month or so. And I did go back to Philly and visit and twice in the last month or month and a half. And I didn't tell a single person. I just made the choices that I needed to make to make it better for me. And if it had been, I, I really weighed telling the partner that I work for because I was thinking I might have to take like a whole week off of work and just completely a wallet um, and not take FMLA uh, or take it retroactively or something. But I didn't end up having to. So I didn't, but I was really holding on to that for until the last minute. I was like, I don't want to tell anyone. Is it because you didn't want them to feel bad for you or you didn't want them to know or like, there are so many dynamics. I feel like it's hard to be in a, yes, all of the above. I mean, I just felt like such a mess last year in the office and I was, I, you know, was in that situation. I was surrounded by people who are my peers, who are my age and none of them really were in the same boat. So everyone just felt bad <laughs> and everyone gave me space, which was lovely. And in this situation, all of my the people I work with are significantly older than me, and I wasn't sure what that dynamic would look like. I didn't know how to handle that, and I, I didn't really want to get into it. I felt like I spent so much time being anxious about what my co colleagues thought or whether I was going, I was being bad at my job or stuff like that, and I have gotten a lot of really good feedback at work recently, and I'm like, this is hilariously ironic because I've been, my dad's been in the hospital, I've been very preoccupied thinking about that, but it apparently does not come through that way. Yeah, it's weird. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there is, you know, we we have all this like societal weirdness, right, around grief and grieving and how do you deal with it on an interpersonal level but also on the sort of structural level, right? What do you think is, if you kind of could change things, mm -hmm. how could we potentially make that better for people? I mean, I think obviously like it would be great for people to be able to talk about it more. Yeah. But are there other things that you think would be a really useful change to help people who are going through that kind of thing? From a broader standpoint, just being so much more compassionate and just slowing down. I think especially in a, even in friendships and things like that, everyone's really fast. Like everything moves so fast. And I think when you're, also in kind of a crisis situation, everything feels like it's moving super, super fast. And all it took was in my old job last year with all this happening is for my boss to just say like, we, we've got everything on this end. Like, don't worry about it. You do what you need to do. And like, let us know how we can support and that was just such a, she was such a unique person because she was so compassionate and she actually was going through a lot on her end as well. And I think that made it so that in this situation, I would go in and I'd be into her office and I'd feel so stressed about how, like perception of me being just out of the office on and off and how, you know, I was trying to email people from the hospital. <laughs> I was taking conference calls from the hospital with, you know, si a siren going off in the background and feeling ridiculous. And I really just needed to completely and, you know, not be on calls or anything like that. And it was just such a relief to have someone just take a step back and very calmly say like, just don't worry about it. <laughs> this is not the end of the world. And very few people have that perspective when they, because like all they see is, you know, how is this negatively going to affect me? I think that the same thing can be said in re relationships, romantic and friendship wise, is even in romantic relationships, for instance, I think one of the things we don't often do is just give people time to figure things out. One of the things I felt really complicated around having been in kind of a new relationship around the same time as my dad was in the hospital and having that person be like front and center with my family <laughs> during all of this was that I just felt so complicated about how to handle that situation. And I felt like more than anything, I hadn't, I just didn't have time to figure it out. It was happening all around me and I had no ability to sit back and be like, actually, I'd really like you to do this. Or like, actually, this would be really nice if you did this. It was just all like, I, I didn't know how to ask for anything. And the nicest thing that I heard during any of that was literally just like, I got your back. You know, none of this is the wrong way to handle this, I guess. I don't know. I know that wasn't the easiest like one, two, three action list. No, that's okay. <laughs> but 
that's how I, I feel about it. And I'm trying to think of the way that I would handle it. Like if, you know, someone of my friends had a kind of a crisis moment in their family or within a friendship. And I've definitely had that happen before. And I'm trying to right now roll through my brain of how I've either handled it in the past or how I would have, I would handle it going forward in informed by the last year or so. I think I would just try to be more patient with people and more active and not trying to make them guess how you could help them, but just doing stuff until like basically throwing things against a wall until something sticks. Yeah. Because I think it is difficult for people to know what you're going to want because grieving and going through just any of those really personal things can be very, you can very easily say the wrong thing. On the one hand, like it's good to sort of like be able to step up for people, Mm -hmm. but you also, I think, don't want to be presumptuous. Like in the sense that I, I volunteer for hospice, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they told us in the hospice training was don't try to provide some, they especially don't say things like, it's going to be fine or right. say cliches and like things they're like literally, that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, cause you can, if you say the wrong thing, can it have such negative repercussions? Right. I remember recently seeing a New York times article about the worst <laughs> things to tell people or, and the best. And I think some of the best I could be wrong. were just like, I'm so sorry. And I've been trying to implement that when people tell me really hard things, uh, and just saying, I'm really sorry that that's happening. Because I think my gut reaction, I, you know, I got on that bandwagon, which I think is is true too. Of like, for instance, never saying I'm sorry in work emails, <laughs> like never admitting as a woman, like when you're like apologizing when you don't have to apologize. But then I was like, yeah, but <laughs> maybe not in a very difficult emotional situation. Just saying basically I hear you and that sounds like a really difficult position to be in more just like seeing the situation as it is mm-hmm. I think about being you know when I when the th- images that like cross my brain when I think about the conversation around hospice and things like that for me it was when my dad was basically in like a comatose state of sorts before he came out of that I was in this hospital room and I hadn't left in a long time and my then partner brought me a t-shirt from a coffee store, like a coffee shop, because I just I had no clothes on me and I really needed to change. I had, I guess, said like, I'm kind of a mess. Can you just like help out? That was helpful on a practical standpoint. But then also some of my best friends who were in the room were just saying, you know, this is a really difficult situation. And they were my age. And I think that they just like put in perspective, like, no, it's okay to freak out. Like, we don't know how to handle this either. (laughs) This is a really hard situation. Like, there are so many unknowns and blah, blah, blah. And I think that was nice because I, it was more like I didn't know how to handle the situation. I didn't really have anything useful to contribute (laughs) and, or, or that's not true. Like contribute in the sense of like what I needed. So because I couldn't tell people that people, just the validation that it's okay to have feelings about this and be upset and not know how to handle it was helpful enough. I guess. Yeah. And you've really, like, I feel like you're one of the the friends that I have that actually really, like, okay, I, I think about these things and then, like, actually really then goes and acts upon it because, like, mm-hmm. I recently had an experience where the a lot of my coworkers got laid off right. and you did just say, like, hey, like, I feel like I'm really sorry that this happened. I mean, obviously like I didn't get laid off, but I, you know, lost a lot of people on my team, which was upsetting because I really liked those people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I know. Um, and yeah, when I hope it's not weird to say this, but the, that was the thought process I had when you told me that. And I was really happy you told me because you just, I think you just, I don't know if I had said, how was your week or something like that, but I just remember when you told me that I was really surprised. I'm not sure if you just messaged me out of the blue or something and was like, everyone on my team just got laid off except for me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is just shocking. <laughs> you know, I don't know how I would handle that either. I'd, my jaw would probably just be on the ground and I'd be like, how am I still here? What am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that just sucks. And 
that's and all. And it's not I, even like, yeah, you just had to be like, okay, yep, this, that, uh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I, there was no, what am I going to do? Like try to create a solution for you? Right. Like, oh, you should petition to get them all rehired. <laughs> you know, like what was I going to do? So I was glad that you told me. And it's exactly that where I feel like we should be able to talk about what's going on in our lives without ha- having to announce it or having to be like solution based. And I think that's one of the problems with where I think sometimes we are. And that's how I feel weird about social media too, is I feel like when, when you post something, it has to be like an announcement or something like, you know, unless you're literally live streaming your whole life. Um, and there's definitely people who do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there definitely are. Um, I, yeah. And I, but I do think it's good to be, you know, vulnerable or whatever on the internet or, but I also think between friends, it's nice to just have that update and like it made me for instance feel more comfortable like if I just wanted to message you and be like yeah my dad's back in the hospital Mm -hmm. I that's you know I don't have to wait until the next time that I see you to send you that update or like to tell you that I can just be like yeah this is unfortunate yeah (laughs) and you know what's going on in my life instead of and, and it was upsetting and it's, it's stuff like that. And I, I think both of us have a track record with one another of being there to support the other person, just in, in, in like a literal being there, like a literal presence. And I think that's kind of cool. Like uh, going back to when my dad was in the hospital. So, you know, when my dad was in the ICU and things were looking really bad and he was getting the transplant, I had literally been broken up with two days before that. <laughs> so it was super brutal and it was just a total head spin. Like, who am I supposed to ask to, you know, like be supportive? It was super weird. I felt like my time was really split between DC and Philly in that I was in Philly and some of my best friends from high school were there and my family was there, but my family was in crisis mode and, you know, there are so many complicated relationships there. And then in DC, I'd come back and like my roommate didn't want to talk about death. (laughs) My, my room had been flooded with sewage. (laughs) Like it was so bad. And you know, a lot of those friends were friends from work that I was very close with, but I, again, felt really complicated about them being colleagues, and everyone was so new, and then my then-partner had just broken up with me, and I was just like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, and then it was the night that my dad got his transplant, and I had to make this really heartbreaking decision, and I felt, I felt like I just, I just, I was at work and I had to make the decision of whether or not to go back to Philly to say hi slash bye possibly because he was so high risk um, surgery wise to my dad. And I wasn't sure if I was going to get there in time or whether I should go. And there was like so many different things. And I decided to stay in DC, which would have meant potentially that if my dad had died during surgery, that was it, you know? And I had made this active decision. I was like, no one should have to make this decision. This decision really, really sucks. No one 24 years old, then 23, should have to make this decision at all. And I had asked my partner, well, (laughs) ex-partner, it was just so bad, (laughs) to come over and just like chill with me while I waited to hear the results of my dad's surgery all night while he was in surgery in, and I was in DC and he was in Philly and my partner, my ex-partner said no and like good boundaries on their part, but also like, damn, it was so savage. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just like, uh, okay. So, uh, you were had the savagery of breaking up with me two days ago and now I'm just chilling in my house by myself and so at the time you know we weren't even super close friends and then partner (laughs) was like I'm you know do you want me to call Isabel and have her come over and I was like that's super weird (laughs) I was like I'm not gonna ask this and I think they just ignored you. <laughs> <laughs> no, they literally did ignore me. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, they were like, yeah, I just feel like that's the right thing to do. And I was like, but why don't you just come over? And they were like, nope. <laughs> and I was like, damn. So 
you came over and I just remember being so anxious and so freaked out and you have just like this amazingly kind of uncomplicated <laughs> energy <laughs> where you're just kind of like well I'm just here <laughs> <laughs> what do you want or like you know and it was just like more it was actually like you weren't really like asking me like you I think you asked me a couple of things like yeah is there anything I can do to be useful and I was kind of like I don't really know and you didn't try to like force it on me you just kind of like okay well we're having a sleepover <laughs> and I was like it's just so funny like I can't really imagine many other situations where that would happen where you're like so this is the most critical one of the most critical moments of my life <laughs> and I have this person coming over to have a sleepover with me who I am I would say like kind of newish friends with mm -hmm. and you were just like yep I got this one <laughs> uh, and it was just such a non-eventful eventful evening like I think we just went to sleep after a long time and I had been tooling around on my phone and woke up and my dad was out of surgery and I went to Philly immediately and I was there before he woke up and you just had to be there like physically <laughs> um and we were so not like necessarily on the same emotional page right um I don't quite remember why you had decided to stay in D.C. It's because when people are offered organs, a lot of times what they do is that they prep the organ and then something's wrong with it or the person gets more sick or, or something happens where you basically can't do it. It's not a match or it's not a good situation. And <clears throat> I had been told that this could happen like a dozen times. And so... Everyone was telling me just like wait it out a little bit more until we know that he's going to be in surgery. But by the time that we knew he was going to be in surgery, he was going to be in surgery. And yeah. I it was like a Wednesday in the middle of the week or something like that. And I had just gotten back to work uh, from having been off. And so I was it was also, I think, late at night. And I think it happened overnight. It was an overnight surgery. And so I was just like, I, I don't know. It feels, and I talked to my dad on the phone and I was so upset and I was just like, dad, I really, he was kind of out of it. So I was like, not really sure how to, you know, deal with that. But he, I was like, dad, do I come home? And he was like, no, I'll see you when I wake up. <laughs> and I, you know, it was just so my dad, like where he was in this incredibly, you know, intense situation and he was trying to make me feel better. And I talked to my mom and my sister who were both there and they said, you know, this we have no idea whether this is actually going to happen um the liver is still in new jersey uh you know you should just wait it out and there was something else happening oh yeah they had to helicopter the liver to your dad and yeah everything. well they also had to helicopter they, him they ran it in <laughs> yeah so originally yeah we oh my gosh the saga is insane. Yeah. This, I mean, I feel like I really haven't done this whole, <laughs> the whole story justice because it is truly one of the more insane stories of anyone I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the TLDR was just that he was in South Carolina when he got sick by himself at a softball tournament he had been coaching. And he basically crawled from a rental car from the hospital to into the rental car, drove himself to the hospital, like crawled into an emergency room. They started treating him there. He has the like most complicated medical history of all time. And they literally said, we have no idea how to handle this situation. We have no idea. Uh, and he kept trying to advocate for himself because he's so good at that. And it just breaks my heart because he fully you know, all of the things he kept saying to me when I was in the hospital visiting him was if I had stayed in South Carolina, I would have died. I would have been dead if I had stayed there for another hour. Mm -hmm. And my family is just amazing in that they kick into like high military zone. <laughs> like my aunt and my mom are just like, it's time <laughs> descend. And, you know, in basically he was in South Carolina and called my mom and said, like, something is seriously wrong. We have no I have no idea what it is. And my mom flies down to South Carolina. I was on a semi-romantic trip to Asheville at the time <laughs> with, uh, so with uh, my then said partner. Said ex-partner. <laughs> yes, said then partner. Um, and 
so I was actually in the state, you know, over in North Carolina and we got this call and my mom basically, and my dad got stuck in South Carolina. My mom had flown down. They were trying to advocate for him. And literally these people were like, yeah, so we deal with people who have like broken their hips on the golf courses of Myrtle beach. Not someone who has like six different medical conditions ongoing and now is having a full blown, you know, meltdown internally. And so what we did was we tried to wrangle with the insurance company and with American Express of all things because we purposely every time my dad travels we book it on Amex Platinum card because we have it so that he there's some kind of insurance for death and dismemberment but also for medical related issues and what we did was that Amex and the hospital insurance had denied his claim to get a helicopter to bring him to Philly and back to Penn where all of his doctors were. They denied it, denied it. And I just so happened to have a close friend of mine whose dad is the coordinator for medical jets in the Eastern corridor or whatever. And I called my friend's dad and I said, we need, like I had him connect with my aunt and my mom. And they said, we need to get this man on a private jet, (laughs) medical jet back to Philadelphia. And I, you know, my family does not come from a lot of money. (laughs) So that was insane. (laughs) And so just the whole saga was insane. We put like a $20,000 jet on a credit card and medevac jet, jetted my dad back to Philadelphia from South Carolina. In the meantime, the people, his pain medication had gone missing somewhere in between the South Carolina hospital and him getting on this jet. So he literally blacked out from pain while he was on this jet. They didn't have any of his pain meds. We think they probably were stolen. Um, Yeah. And they also went to the wrong airport in the ambulance it was such a mess they flew in they had to drive him like 45 minutes through philadelphia traffic to the hospital he then coded and almost died in the one hospital in philadelphia when he arrived only to then be transferred back to penn a different penn you know hospital within their system where they you know got him back basically and he was then kind of under and out of it for another like two weeks and then all of that happened. I'm, you know, drove 10 hours straight from Asheville to Philadelphia to be there because everyone, you know, thought he was going to die and get there. And it's just like such a shit show. I mean, there's there's a good reason why you've aged 10 years. right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And and there's also it's just like it's still ongoing in that, you know, there's just life has really changed for my family in a lot of ways, in a way that like I have become so much more compassionate towards my mom, for instance, this year and tried to be so patient. And I have bonded a lot more with my sister and I have such great respect for my aunt because on all three levels, there's so much to be said for how graceful all three of them are in dealing with a really hard situation. And it really put in perspective growing up that my mom always had to kind of be the bad guy. I think I really wanted to hold on to any positive memories with my dad and like any positive things. And so I think we all made a lot of excuses and we all, you know, for just normal parenting things. But when I saw my mom really kick into crisis mode, I was like, oh my gosh, she's been doing this for like 20 something years. Yeah. That's, I, 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 like my levels of compassion and understanding, I aged in terms of that, like, 40 years I was like okay like you know I have to have so much more respect for this person because these things I didn't understand before I understand so well now because I'm snapping at someone because I'm at the end of my rope and I am not you know dealing with this every single day and now I get to go back to DC and live my like young professional life kind of having distance from this and my mom and dad are still very and my aunt especially are very much in it you know yeah on a day-to-day basis my mom retired on purpose so that she could focus on my dad's medical needs. And, and I think everyone who thinks of caregivers, especially women thinks of them as like these people who are inherently (laughs) supremely made out to be caregivers. And that is so unfair. And yeah, so I've just been growing a lot in my compassion and my understanding of my, you know, my parents, both of them, including how much my dad's been through and how gracefully he's handled an illness for ages that 
I mean, more recently, he's been a pretty angry guy and, you know, had some, he has like definitely PTSD and stuff. But yeah, it's just crazy that he was such a good parent, despite being chronically ill and probably so frustrated and pained and stuff like that for my whole life. Like, I think that is just next level inspiring. Yeah, it's really, it's easy to look at the people who, like, you know, who are succeeding at these levels that are so far above average, but it's mm. so difficult to recognize when people are having so many more handicaps than the average person yep. and then still getting, you know, to a comparable level and still being able to be. And just like living, parent. I think that's one of the things that is such a good perspective shift is that I think especially go- having gone to this small liberal arts school and having overachiever friends and all of us being hyper, you know, professionally successful in some capacity and having these lofty goals and loving to like intellectually masturbate. Um, you know, there's all of this talk about, you know, I'm going to start the next Apple or I'm going to do whatever. And I think like my dad managed to be an A plus dad mm-hmm. and generally good person while dealing with so much hard stuff and he was very not career focused and we just had like you know he had a small family business and I just he really took everything in stride and I think that that is so crazy amazing and has really this year put it in perspective for me that the people around me and my life and the small things and things like that are so important compared to just constantly being in some kind of rat race. And I think having been in my previous work environment where it felt like that, and even my current work environment is like a lot of high, high achieving folks in the traditional sense um, has really slowed things down for me and been able to give me some much needed perspective. Thank you so much for sharing this story that is obviously very personal and still happening. Like I feel like it's easy, easier to look back 20 years down the road and be like, mm. here's my memoir of right. this crazy shit that <laughs> happened. And like, it's, it's almost comical, right? The fact that all of this terrible stuff was going on at the same time. It right? was, it was crazy. I mean, it, it's like I a satire. Think, <laughs> I think of that. And I, I think of, you know, just because you've had like one crazy thing happen does not mean that you then get a break from other crazy things happening. Uh, true. And, it's totally just about adjusting. And my grandmother, who has since passed at the exact same time uh, as all this was happening, uh, she used to say just that life is lived in the transitions and how you handle them. And I think that that's really beautiful. Thank you so much for this listening. To <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of I'm the Villain. We'll be back next week and make sure to subscribe.